Hey, Bobby here. Welcome to Quotalist, where software sales leaders and professionals share ideas to help you master your mind, your business, and your time. Remember, when we embrace practice, develop awareness, and align our efforts, we can rise above the deal. We can live Quotalist. Hey, I'm Bobby Dysart, and this is Quotalist. Today's episode is sponsored by my podcasting partner, SalesCast. They offer revenue-first podcasts for entrepreneurs and sales leaders. You can catch me as well as founders Colin and Chris hanging out on Slack in their podcasting community. If you're interested, it's free to join. Just head over to salescast.co. One question trivia to get rolling here with my guest, Raj Singh. Raj, I was... uh, checking out your LinkedIn and uh, mining your posts a bit. And you mentioned something about the greatest gift that you ever received, maybe being a red stapler. So <laughs> question is in the movie office space, uh-huh. main character, Peter invites love interest, Jennifer played by Jennifer Aniston back to his apartment to watch mm-hmm. what television show. Oh, that's a good one. Is it a, Miami uh-huh. Vice, B, King of the Hill, C, Kung Fu, D, Friends. I'm going to go with C, uh, Kung Fu. That's right. That's right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, so that? That is, Mike Judge is genius. I feel like all of his work is kind of etched into my memory at this point. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And you even put in your post, if you know, you know. <laughs> exactly <laughs> well i mean the best gift was uh was of course the four and a half day work week which uh you know has happened at at the company i'm at i'm really excited to see that uh, proliferate across the entire tech ecosystem and for knowledge workers in general uh, i think it's going to be a big trend uh in the coming years we should talk more about that um so it wasn't a red stapler <laughs> no it definitely wasn't <laughs> Oh, cool. Um, well, for those listening in, uh, my guest today is founder and CEO of GoMoment, a digital platform for connecting hotel staff to their guests. Now, GoMoment was acquired by Revenue in November of 2021, where Raj stayed on as full-time CMO. He's a globally recognized leader in the hospitality industry, proven entrepreneur, investor, advisor, speaker, and biohacker. He's also a friend and mentor to me, so I'm extra stoked for him to join me today. Raj, welcome to Quotalist. That's great to be here, Bobby. Can't wait to dig in. Yeah, um, I, I guess we, we, can, we can sort of come back to this uh, four-day work week thing by way of you catching me up on the latest of transitioning from uh, Go Moment to Revenate. Um, maybe even unpack that story. That, I think that's a sales story in and of itself. Um, so we probably got a lot to a lot to cover there. Um, but but let's start with the latest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think maybe for a little bit of context, uh, you know, the the Go Moment story was all about creating a billion unforgettable experiences using technology, using artificial intelligence applied to the hotel technology space. Where uh, you know I saw this big problem where my family uh, owned and operated some hotels and I saw the labor struggling to keep up with the guest needs and demands that were 
exponentially growing thanks to Uber and Grubhub and everything else being uh, on demand. So we created Ivy, which is uh, an AI concierge uh, that has helped about 50 million guests in production so far. And um, yeah, I think the, the partnership with Revenate really began as a, an exploration into you know what is the best in class guest experience out there. And uh, the conclusion was that Ivy definitely provides it. And that turned into the, the acquisition that, uh, that we announced in November. Uh, and yeah, the transition from founder CEO into CMO has been uh, really fun, actually. It's a totally new challenge. I'm, uh, you know, sinking my teeth into it. And um, this actually aligns very well with my educational background, which was in marketing and market research specifically. So I, in some ways, I feel like, uh, you know, not only do I have a lot to learn, but I, it's my first time fully applying on a full-time basis, uh, all of the marketing stuff that I picked up in my uh, studies and, of course, in my early experience in uh, technology as well. And um, it's it's really fun. We have now 10,000 global customers. Revenate's been the number one rated um, marketing and CRM solution for uh, hotels. Uh, we also now have a uh, you know call center and phone solutions for clients that are converting inbound callers into sales. Uh, and then we also now have texting and WhatsApp and all kinds of mobile messaging. So it's really omni-channel direct bookings. And uh, I think bringing that message to the industry is really cool because similar to Go Moment, um, we didn't just bring a product into the market for, you know, uh, where four or five alternatives already existed. We created an entire new category of products. And that's exactly what Revenate is doing as well, which is uh, bringing a new category of products into the market, uh, not just one product that looks just like, you know, 10 other products there. So um, I find those challenges to be super fascinating. And um, yeah, I've been having a lot of fun in the last few months uh, doing this. Mm, man, well, yeah, I, I mean, thank you for that context. And um, yeah, I guess additional context, that's, you know, we, we met when you were working, I guess, when you were growing uh, a Go Moment, that was, I don't know how long ago that was now, at least two years, maybe three. Yeah, I think we, it was definitely at least a year pre-COVID, right? So uh, I think uh, 2019, about three years almost. Yes, yeah. and then COVID made the world just disappear for a year and a half. Especially um, for hotels, you know, it's a very in-person kind of business. I know, I, 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 you know, it's such a tough subject to bring up, you know, it's like, do we talk about the pandemic or do we not? But I, I, I selfishly want to hear a little bit more about like, how you navigated those times and then to come out the other side with an acquisition and a CMO role at a company that you obviously like am really jack you know jazzed about um you know that's a good story so um yeah I, I don't know shed a little light on that um what that was like yeah it's um you know it's kind of funny I know this is a topic you and I have discussed before Bobby which is uh you know the there's resilience which is like withstanding shocks and then there's anti-fragility which is getting stronger from shocks. And, uh, you know, that kind of goes back to the Tilab uh, book on the topic. And when the pandemic hit, of course, you know, after making sure that our loved ones are safe and, and, and that, you know, uh, payroll's not going to stop and all that stuff that, you know, CEOs often have to think about, um, the most incredible thing happened, which is that to, after taking care of the, you know, health and, and the table stakes there, I actually started a Shark Tank kind of uh, project within uh, Go Moment at that time, and we went into innovation mode. We said, okay, we have this amazing team. The hotels are shut down. We were thankfully still getting revenue because we were on, uh, we build on a per room per month basis. It was not variable per occupancy. So, you know, we had amazing enterprise deals, sales I'd closed myself that were seven figures at the time. And, um, you know, the timing for all of that had been 
very fortuitous for us. So, you know, uh, despite the, the shock to the overall hotel industry, we were in a very good place. And when we did this Shark Tank kind of uh, thing internally, what we found is that there was a lot of untapped opportunity in the guest experience. Of course, guests were not checking into hotels. They were not flying. They were not traveling at the time. So uh, it did take a bit of a leap of faith that, okay, well, you know, time doesn't, you know, there's this uh, concept from psychology called the end of history illusion, where, you know, we look at history, everything's been changing, but we kind of think that the present moment is going to last forever. And it doesn't, right? It, things regress back to the mean, things get back to normal over time. And so we made a bet that, okay, travel will get back to normal. And uh, we want, we saw this opportunity to unlock revenue uh, because guests were now needing contactless. It wasn't just a preference. Contactless became the name of the game. We were already a contactless provider because uh, we're a mobile messaging uh, play. And what we realized is, okay, well, we have tens of millions of guests using Ivy already to make their hotel stay better. They were asking for the Wi-Fi password, getting a response in a second, et cetera. Now, how do we turn that into revenue for the hotels that need it so badly because they have their occupancy went from 90% down to 30% or 10, 10% in some cases. Uh, and so we created Ivy Offer. Uh, we made it very easy for guests to order uh, you know, food and beverage, uh, limos instead of Ubers, all that kind of good stuff when they're celebrating. And, and you know, of course, with the pent up uh, travel demand. And what we saw is in the first 12 months with just one of our clients, we drove $15 million of revenue for them. Uh, with this brand new product we created during the pandemic in 12 months of the beta period, essentially, right? Uh, so it, it was just a, a mind-blowing discovery. And that was a lot of what, you know, catalyzed the, the incredible uh, acquisition by, by uh, Revenate as well. So that was really it. It was, you know, just kind of saying, okay, well, we're standing, we're, you know, here, we're healthy. That is the biggest blessing. It felt like we'd won the lottery on the tail end of you know, the initial shock that COVID presented to travel and to, to the world in general. And we said, okay, well, what's our responsibility? Let's step up and provide some kind of huge benefit that only we can provide. And we struck gold, uh, you know, with that kind of mindset. Oh, that is awesome. And I mean, I remember in that moment talking to you and it was, it was just really interesting to like, just the difference of, perspective of each conversation I had with like clients, peers, um, you know, mentors, prospects, et cetera, of like, all right, is this an opportunity to get stronger? Is this an opportunity to get weaker? Is this an opportunity sort of like, um, you know, lean in with optimism and positivity and action? Or is it a time to sort of regress and like, um, you know, sit back and, um, you know, maybe let fear get the best of us in some ways? Um, you know, it's one thing to do as an individual. It's another thing to do it as a, as a, you know, organization and, and, and help your sort of help your employees rise to the occasion. Um, and then it's a whole nother thing to do that for an industry, for customers. Um, so that's, that's just awesome. And I remember talking to you and I remember you being like, you just, you just had a pretty good perspective considering your industry, I think in particular, arguably got hit the hardest or at least one of the hardest, right? Um, yeah, we, so it was really, what's that? We were in the epicenter. Yeah, yeah. So it was really great to hear you kind of greet it with like, uh, again, just optimism and action. Um, and it turned into a product, turned into a great story. Um, so bravo. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Bobby. Honestly, it's it's all the, the team. Uh, we just have this incredible team that was also, uh, you know, minded around positivity. And actually, again, anti-fragility anti was one of our core values at Go Moment. That was something we didn't just talk about it. We actually preached it 
and we did that for years leading up to the pandemic. Of course, we couldn't have seen the pandemic coming, but um, just the you know nature. I think you know as millennials, I think that we've seen now three once in a lifetime uh, kind of shocks to our sensations and, and to the financial markets, and you know even events like 9/11. And I think that the trend line kind of indicates we're going to have more black swan events, just like. COVID in the future, there probably won't be pandemics. And hopefully, you know, that's not going to be the case, but they will be something that we just don't expect. So I think that um, all those years of prep, all that hiring around people who are nimble and, you know, curious and thoughtful and positive, I think that, that that's really what paid off in spades at that time. And um, again, I, you know, I think that you can also, uh, we also just got incredibly lucky. I think we, from my perspective, we were in the right place at the right time to help an ailing industry. And I think that if you have that mindset, um, you know, it, it helps keep the fear and the kind of negative emotions at bay because, um, you know, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. You know, it's that uh, age old saying. That's right, man. Yeah. Talk, talk about stress testing the values. That's great. That's great. Yeah. You know, I think values are always this thing that gets thrown around at corporate meetings and onboarding and you don't really think much about it. But, you know, when when an event like that comes uh, comes knocking at your door. It's like, glad, glad we prepared. Glad that that's, you know, that's really like baked into our organization. Um, so, so let's talk about Revenate a little bit more. Like how, how have you sort of baked in those values or continued that on now that you're at a larger organization, you're at a totally you know different role as like um, sort of one of many uh, executive leaders. What's, what's changed? What's the same? Yeah, uh, I would say that there's more that's the same uh, than what's changed because I, you know, as as I met Mark, the the founder and CEO at uh, Revenate, and we we just hit it off. I mean, he's got this incredible mindset, service first, right? Like uh, I think it's a it's a company that really values that service kind of mindset, which I think is very compatible with the hotel mindset because people don't work at hotels because it's the highest paying job or it's the most glamorous. It, people work at hotels because they make uh, other people smile, they get to participate in celebrations and, and you know, unforgettable experiences. And I think that Revenue has a lot of that kind of um, mentality in its DNA. Uh, one of the, funny enough, uh, similar to Go Moment, some of the values actually even overlap, like uh, hunger is a, is a really core thing, you know, stay, there's that old Steve Jobs uh, thing of like, stay hungry, stay foolish, because then, you know, you're kind of open to new ideas and uh, I think that Revenate certainly, uh, you know, has been that way. Uh, what's different is that, you know, we're almost 500 people. Um, we're one of the largest uh, hotel tech players uh, on the planet at this point. And, um, you know, it just seems that uh, the processes are much more mature. Uh, they're also a better fit for the stage of the, um, or I would say the mindset of the hotel decision maker today, because it used to be, you know, five years ago that a hotel would have 50 different vendors, 60 different vendors. Uh, but every time there's a security breach or some other kind of problem like that, um, hotels are more gravitating towards a one-stop shop that can provide a lot of different services. So they have one relationship that gives them a lot of leverage on their technology stack. Uh, and I think that Revenue does that incredibly well because we cover all these different channels. There's not a single other player like that on the market. Um, so, you know, it's definitely great to be part of a, of a company that's just as innovative, if not more so than, you know, uh, what GoMoment was. Um, but doing that at a, at a much larger scale in a way that is very harmonious with where we see the market going towards in the, in the coming few years. Yeah. Just bigger, faster, stronger, I guess. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. And there's a, uh, you know, we also have a, a great vision around, uh, you know, the, the customer data platform, the guest data platform uh, that informs every interaction. Uh, and I think that that's something that the market has not really uh, ever been able to experience. I think for, especially the kind of hotels that we deal with, which are, you know, luxury resorts, mid-market hotels, independent boutique hotels, you know, it's a very fragmented market. So they don't have the resources of a Marriott to bring, you know, the same kind of voice to their calls and texts and emails and surveys and everything else like that. But we give the hotel and, and a, a way to directly connect with their guests and to make sure that, you know, every guest experience is phenomenal. And of course, resulting in the most amount of money uh, that, that it can for the hotel. So um, yeah, I think that that's also very much needed because the whole industry is reforming and reshaping itself in response to COVID because it's such a recent, you know, traumatic memory for every hotelier uh, that they want to be ready for, you know, if we have another 10%, 20% occupancy kind of season, how do we thrive in that? And I think that uh, Revenate has a lot of those uh, great answers. So that's a little bit different because it's a much more robust and, and wider uh, platform uh, for hotels to adopt. Man, it's, it's sad how long I could listen to you talk about hotels and product. You are, you are, you, I know you're in the right place because you are just obsessed with hotels, hospitality, I should say, uh, and, and product, man. Um, that's great. I love it. It's uh, you know, I feel like it's a, it's a delight to get to make people smile and, you know, make their life easier. I feel like it's been frankly neglected for, for far too long, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, it's also something I'm really attracted to scale. And, you know, the fact that there's 1.2 billion check-ins at hotels just in the U S every year, that's, I mean, that's scale right there. So, I mean, you know, there's many billions of check-ins at hotels around the world. And I feel like every guest experience can be made better. And yeah, that's definitely a, a big driver uh, for, you know, what I've been doing with my life. Love it, man. Love it. Do you have a sales counterpart? Like, do you have like a chief sales officer, chief revenue officer? Yeah, yeah. We have a, a, an amazing CRO. Uh, her name's Karen Stevens in, the, uh, in Revenate. And uh, she's been there for a long time. She, I think, started as an account uh, representative kind of thing and rose among the ranks and uh, is just amazing at what she does. We also have uh, an incredible VP uh, of global sales, JD Kane, um, who's just, you know, lives and breathes this industry. He's been with us for over a decade at this point. And, um, you know, seeing amazing talent like that have the kind of longevity at a San Francisco-based VC and PE-backed hotel technology company, that really says something, especially in this market. Hmm. Yeah. Way, way to say good things about your sales leaders on the podcast. Well done. Well done. Um, I mean, well, they, at, at, they've got a very tough job. I mean, it's, it's, I've, you know, I've done a lot of enterprise sales myself, as you know, Bobby, and, uh, you know, having worked on that kind of problem together, it's a very different kind of mindset. And I think it does take, uh, you know, a very uh, steady hand and a, and a very solid um, understanding of yourself in order to succeed at sales. So I have a lot of appreciation, a lot of gratitude for uh, salespeople everywhere doing what they do, enabling product people and marketing people uh, to, to really, you know, do what they do best. And, and, you know, when you bring it together, I think it can be real magic. Yeah. I mean, and it, it should be, but man, Raj, if I, if I had a dollar for every, you know, sales and marketing team that knew like their, their top priority was sales and marketing alignment and they weren't aligned, I'd be a rich, rich man. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's like this, it's just this, 
elephant in the room, like sales and marketing is supposed to be aligned and, and, and should have been for like the last decade. And, and none of us are. Um, I think what helps with you is like, you do have this context. You have the founder context, you have the enterprise sales context, right? Like you have the marketing context and how it all sort of works together beautifully and how it doesn't. Um, so I think that, that, that's a, that's a, a unique strength that you bring to the table. Um, is there something else that has helped you align with that team, um, particularly coming in as I imagine they were there before you and, and you're sort of this like charismatic, like loud hire, right? Like a, a, you're definitely yeah. a big hire. Um, you know, definitely some sales, loud. some sales, <laughs> yeah, loud in all the good ways, right? Like sales, sales leaders might be like, Hey, man, this guy Raj is coming on my turf. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, what has kept you guys aligned and, and, and that thing functioning really well? Yeah, it's a very uh, well calibrated question there. Um, you know, clearly you've done this maybe dozens of times at this point, Bobby. Uh, yeah, I would say that. So when I came in, I think that the, a lot of marketing's focus was around, you know, marketing qualified leads and MQLs. And, um, you know, my gut and, and my experience in sales actually told me that, okay, well, we need to focus really further down the funnel, align perfectly with sales and really focus on pipeline and, you know, sales qualified leads. Uh, which are not entirely marketing's control, but ultimately, uh, you know, and, and I've had some of my mentors tell me this as well, maybe the most important metric in your entire business, you know, assuming your retention and all that stuff is all taken care of is sales qualified leads, because that's where marketing needs sales. Uh, you know, if, you're, uh, if your SQLs are doing well, uh, your business is probably doing pretty well. So I think that um, I kind of set out the charter that, look, we're going to start focusing further down the funnel and one of the things that that required that is a shift is that sales is not just a customer of marketing, just consuming leads. In this case, there's actually a virtuous cycle between both departments where marketing is also a customer of sales, consuming the information and the metadata that it gets generated on each one of the leads that comes in. So um, that is something, you know, making it a full cycle bi-directional relationship was a game changer. And I think that, uh, you know, we're, still only a couple months in the full benefits of this will be realized in the coming quarters and years. But I think that, uh, you know, having marketing be a unidirectional provider of leads to sales. I don't think that that works so well um, relative to having that bi-directional handshake, um, you know, where there is constant accountability going both ways uh, that enables both teams to focus on a metric that is driven, you know, pretty much 50, 50 by each team because your SDRs have to be doing uh, their job super well and communicating super well with marketing. And then marketing can then continue to tweak what's happening at the top of the funnel uh, to actually drive even higher quality and higher volume kind of leads. So I think that that's been the single biggest uh, takeaway so far. It's partnership, right? 50, 50. It's exactly right. You know, Um, easier said than done though. Like so, so how, how have you set up those communication channels in particular to go the other way? Right. Like, cause I agree, right. It's, it shouldn't just be this like marketing's feeding you and you're just throwing out what you don't like and just eating what you crave. Right. Like how have you sort of um, flipped it and, and got it into that bi-directional sense? Yeah, we've got a really mature sales team and sales infrastructure. So, you know, we have a weekly forecast call uh, and, and sales and marketing all, uh, you know, collaborate. We even have biz ops and other, uh, you know, parts of the the company join that call. So on that call, we actually, you know, get to dig into, okay, well, this is, these are the metrics, you know, this is exactly what happened. And here's the qualitative feedback. Uh, and we just have an open and candid discussion 
because I think it takes a lot of trust building. I think that's a step that a lot of teams skip because in order to be candid with each other, you have to be able to trust each other and know that, you know, the other person's got your back no matter what department they're in. So I think that, you know, with that trust, I think we uh, have a culture of candor um, and uh, weekly uh, check-ins and of course, more communication offline between individuals, but at a team and leadership level, at least once a week, we all get in a room together and discuss, you know, how are we doing and how is this going to impact what we see down the line? Uh, given a sales cycle that's fairly lengthy, you know, six to 12 weeks is not unheard of in the hotel tax space. Um, you know, we are able to forecast a lot better that way. So I think that that forecast helps manage expectations. And then once those expectations are managed, then there's less finger pointing between any departments or different teams saying like, well, they didn't do their job. That's why our you know number wasn't met. Um, that's the kind of thing that doesn't happen at all. Once, you know, the, the top of the, uh, the kind of upstream items like the forecaster are done. Right. Yeah. And finger pointing just doesn't really do anything. <laughs> it doesn't really help. Now, have you guys, um, followed it even further down, um, and sort of mm, played partnership with mm, deployment usage, right? Customer success, um, cause that's where I, as a sales leader, that's where I've mm -hmm. really evolved. And I'm like, Hey, my, my job is just, I'm, I'm an on-ramp to the customer life cycle. Right. Exactly. And I, I don't consider my job well done unless I have a billion smiles on the other end, right? Like these folks are using the crap out of this stuff. They're getting a ton of value and I want to do everything I can on the front end, sort of pre-signature to make sure that happens. Um, and certainly track myself and hold myself accountable toward the back end post-sale, um, and do what I can to, to, you know, close that loop on, uh, with that other department. Yeah. I wish everybody in sales was, uh, thought that way, Bobby, I think as far as, you know, being the on-ramp because, uh, the land and expand, uh, you know, thing works great because I think how much you monetize that client, the first time you do a deal with them, that's a fraction of what you're going to get out of that relationship down the line, if you are truly creating value for them. So, um, yeah, actually, we have a customer marketing uh, division that we uh, are investing heavily in. Uh, we have a VIP customer club, and uh, we're starting to recognize some of the folks that are the most successful on our platform. And not only do we have, you know, incredible retention, like, uh, you know, uh, very, very high net negative uh, uh, retention, um, or net negative churn, rather, uh, I should say. Um, but even beyond that, our NPS is the highest in the industry. And we have clients uh, that are, you know, hotel groups that are making hundreds of millions of dollars on the platform. And I think that, you know, we're starting to now think about, okay, what is the best way to, to recognize that publicly? Uh, of course, with the, with the buy-in from the client to be able to show people just how much uh, low cost revenue there is out there in the hotel space um, so that they don't always have to go through the trusted usual channels like an Expedia or a booking or something where they might be giving up 15 to 20% of their top line revenue. Uh, you know, we're able to, to drive similar kind of results for a lot less cost basis. Uh, so it's really a win-win all around. So I think that we have a very strong customer success and product uh, organization. Uh, a lot of Silicon Valley, um, you know, veterans that are a part of the, the team there. And I think that uh, we're now on the marketing side, looking at better ways to merchandise that, better ways to bring people into that experience, even before they've actually bought from us so far. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's I mean, it's 2022, man. Like that's 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 the way to roll now. Um, I actually had uh, I, I told you, you know, 
pre-show that uh, I've got a new role I'm, 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 I'm jumping into on Monday. Um, I don't know when we'll air this, but it, it'll be known by then. So um, a Monday. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I got, uh, I got interviewed by one of the investors and board members and um, which I didn't know was an interview, but it, it turned into one real quick. And he, you know, he had a certain perspective on sales, sales leaders. So let's just leave it at that. And he was like, uh, and so I, and he's like, so, you know, what's to tell me you're not going to like um, sort of just, you know, just sell a bunch of deals and like, you know, a, 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 and perchance sacrifice like the company's growth and, and sort of the, the quality of customers. Right. And, and so I flipped it back to him. I said, well, what's the, what's the number one sa best sales and marketing activity? Do you know what it is? especially in software. What's the number one? It, it, it beats anything else. It beats anything else. It's customer usage. Mm -hmm. Customer usage will make, it, 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 it can do better than any great sales leader, any great marketing strategy. It will outpace anything that any of us mere humans can do, right? Um, and then conversely, if customers aren't using, if they're churning, if they're not having a good experience, man, that just makes my life so much harder and I don't even know if the great Bobby Dicer can overcome that. Um, so it's 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 definitely something that we got to think of both as marketing leaders, sales leaders, and, and of course customer success leaders. Yeah, there's no replacement for a great product and a super strong customer success team. Frankly, I think that companies that are pouring you know millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, sometimes into their sales and marketing go to market activities without nailing the CS and the product components first are. Just not there. I mean, there's so much slippage in that spend, right? And you can just get a lot more traction together if you've really nailed those activities. And I think, again, NPS is not a perfect, um, you know, methodology, but it works reasonably well. It's directionally accurate. And I think that you know, between your NPS score and your churn uh, numbers, you know, especially once you get to net negative churn, uh, that is ultimately the best sales tool on the planet. Because as a seller, then you, when you're talking to the prospect you can really be confident from the inside out and your heart is also in the right place that, hey, when this person spends that 10 grand or hundred grand or a million dollars with me, that they're gonna get you know, 5X ROI, 10X ROI. And, and um, you know, every company says that that's gonna happen, but when you know that your uh, team is actually producing that kind of win for customers, that customer is gonna love you for life. And I think that not only is it a win for that company, but it's also a win for that individual salesperson because of course, you know, salespeople have relationships with customers for life. I mean, sometimes people get married that way, right? Like, yeah, you, all kinds of uh, things happen. It's really about that relationship. Uh, and yeah, you're right that it's the, you know, it's all about the, the quality of the, the delivery that ultimately is the best sales tool. 100%, 100%. Well, let's shift gears with the time we have left. Um, I, we, we've got to talk about your latest and greatest biohacks, but um, I think a good like transition would be to go back to this. I think you said it was a four hour work week. Is that right? Or four, uh, four days, four, sorry. Four yeah, days. it's four and a half days, actually. Four and a uh, half days, four and a half days. Exactly. So it's basically 25% more weekend. Uh, Revenue made that effective a few weeks ago, and it was incredibly well received by our team. Uh, of course, you know, this is for our SaaS team uh, that are incredibly talented and everybody works super hard. So, you know, one of the things that, that we believe in is autonomy. Um, and, and we've given all of our SaaS employees a lot more autonomy that way, because, um, you know, nobody's looking at the clock Monday through Thursday anyway. So, you know, for Fridays, uh, everyone can get their weekend started a little bit early. 
Uh, people are taking more road trips. People are, you know, get, heading up to the mountains for skiing trips and things like that. Um, as a result of this change that we just recently made. And uh, is this your make- thing? Is this your baby? Your idea? No, it was not. I was, you know, I was part of the conversation and part of the del- deliberation from HR on this. Um, I did share some, you know, stats about other companies that have run experiments and other companies that have fully implemented shorter than five day work weeks, which they're there's quite a few out there right now. Um, uh, one, I think, was a notable study from Japan. I think it was IBM uh, who did a four-day work week there, and they saw productivity. Instead of going down 20%, which would be the logical thing that most people think, that it actually went up 30%. So not only were people working less, but they were actually producing more. Uh, and I think that you know we're a very uh, outcome-driven company. We're very focused on, on, on the targets there rather than the inputs and the amount of you know number of hours that you're clocking. So um, you know, it made perfect sense. And it's something that I think has really empowered our team to do their best work at, uh, at Revenate as a result. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. It's definitely where the world is going and, um, more companies will do this. I actually have a good friend, Alex Gafford. He works at a company called Blue Street Capital. Uh, their mm-hmm. HQ is here and is just North in Huntington. Um, mm-hmm. and their founder and CEO, Dave Rhodes piloted a five hour work day. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say two years ago, and they've been doing wow. it ever since. Wow, that's um, cool. Yeah, and now he's trying to spin it off as a product. Um, and he's, I think he's like consulting organizations on it. Um, would love to intro you. He's he's a really good guy. Um, if interested, now now with them, they have. I, I went and visited them at like noon on a, on like a Tuesday, mm-hmm. and like, but by Alex's request, he's like, you should see it in action, and going in there like he was so ingrained in this like we'll say efficient five hours like really packed five hours that like I wasn't like a welcome to guest I was like bro I feel like I'm in your way here um and it's because they really put in some like um just some like smart protocols right like I I can't remember them I'm not gonna rattle them off but definitely they like lived these values of like getting more with less right or getting more out of less um and it was apparent because it was like yeah, I was in and out in 15 minutes because I was interrupting his like hyperspeed work day. Okay. Um, curious. I, I know this is obviously a lot less drastic, um, but mm-hmm. but did you guys figure out like two or three like um, points to go along with it that like is, is, that we're sort of anchoring around behavior change or is it just, you know, right now we're giving the time back and, and, and sort of seeing what happens? Yeah, I think um, there are, uh, I'd say the most notable uh, um, change that we coupled with this is no internal regularly scheduled meetings on Fridays as well. So, you know, the concept is kind of to get, find your flow on Fridays and to really be able to to wrap things up from your week and to set the next week up for success without getting interrupted with a thousand Zoom calls, which seems like is the the kind of norm for, you know, remote work uh, everywhere these days. And I think that that's kind of the, it was a response to, a lot of what everybody was feeling. Some people hadn't even articulated it, but it's the fact that, you know, if you're in meetings all day long, when do you actually do the work of, you know, your job? So I think that that's, uh, that's something that I think we, um, that we implemented alongside the four and a half day work week. Uh, again, it's, we're only a couple of months in at this point or uh, about a month in at this point. So it's going great. And uh, we've actually seen uh, you know, productivity uh, stay very much steady, maybe even going up in certain cases. Um, and I'd say that the other thing that's uh, um, also been very helpful is just having the kind of team, because this is not for everybody. This is not going to work for every single company out there. 
But I think that uh, the kinds of te uh, team members that we have are, you know, they work super hard. Like I get emails at 10 p.m. often from, you know, team members um, not feeling any pressure to respond right away necessarily. But, uh, you know, it's, it's great to know that, you know, people can take a couple of hours during the day to go run an errand or, you know, help a family member out if they need to, and then catch up whenever they need to catch up. And, and we just trust our team to be able to, to make those kinds of decisions without micromanaging how they're utilizing their time. So I think that's also already ingrained in the culture. Uh, and that was super helpful. Uh, and by the way, I don't, I don't know if you've seen this, but California actually has a legislation uh, proposed at the state level that happened after our four and a half day work week announcement that would limit the work week for any companies over 500 employees to 32 hours. So that's officially a four day work week. Uh, and there's also, yeah, and I, I don't think it's necessarily going to pass in this, uh, this iteration now, but the fact that it's being discussed there means, you know, Revenate has been a, a thought leader in terms of employee wellness and, uh, you know, mental health and all those kinds of things. Wow. No, I haven't seen that, but it doesn't surprise me. California, yeah. we got, we got legislation for everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It'll pass five years from now. We'll see. I mean, I, I think it's going to be inevitable, uh, you know, at a certain point, it'll probably take a couple of big companies doing it, but there are plenty of, you know, multi-billion dollar companies that have already adopted four day work weeks and they're working just fine. Fine, and um, there's this uh, movement around conscious leadership. I think it's at consciousleadership.org that um, also has a credo of how to implement something like this. Um, you know, including all the components that you talked about, as far as what are the uh, ancillary components that make that thing succeed. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you, you definitely shouldn't be waiting for California legislation to like spur your uh, your, your creative energy um, in terms of as a leader helping get, you know, helping your people get more done, right. And helping them get on with their lives faster. Um, so that, that's great that you have the team that can do that. Um, love to hear the, her, you know, the early positive results and, and, and I'm not surprised, like, um, you know, you're, you're definitely a guy who I always go to like, to hear like, you know, what's helping you do what you want to do, um, you know, more efficiently, more effectively, et cetera. Um, so so yeah, not surprised, man. So so what is the latest biohack? Any anything that you're uh, that you're just jamming on lately that uh, that you can lay on me and the listeners here? Yeah, um, it's you know I, I've got an existing set of practices that that have uh, that I've kind of honed in on over the last ten or fifteen years of you know quantifying things and using all the kind of biohacking gear and gadgets and and you know metrics uh, that your body can throw off. Um, I think one of the things I've done is just kind of return to simplicity, especially, you know, uh, in the pandemic, working from home and all that kind of stuff with the lockdowns that happened early on. Uh, it got me to think about, okay, well, do we need more gadgets? Do we need more screens in our lives, right? Like with the Apple Watch and other things like that. Um, and I think that where I've landed on this is uh, as far as wearable tech, um, I'm, a, uh, I'm kind of mixed, but... Uh, kind of a fan of the aura three uh that's the ring um the smart ring that you know it'll do sleep tracking it's not really an activity tracker but i actually found some good benefits from uh the kind of stats that i got mainly uh the big ha hack and the revelation from uh from that uh device was that it was telling me that when i was going to sleep that i was falling asleep too quickly which i never knew that that could be a problem uh but apparently that means that you're way too exhausted you kind of burned the candle on both ends there uh, and that you should actually maybe get to bed a little bit sooner where it takes you, you know, about 10 to 14 minutes to fall asleep. So that was a big unlock because 
you know, that's the one thing I know you and all of our viewers are doing every single day, regardless uh, of, you know, what field they're in. Um, so that was it. I would say that the, the book, Why We Sleep, I know, I think we talked about that one before, uh, has been transformational. <laughs> you, got one, uh, you got a copy on your shelf? I think so. I think Tracy has that one. Awesome. Um, yeah, Matthew Walker, he's like a, you know, I think he teaches at Harvard and uh, just brilliant book. And, and the thing that I derived from that, and I'm probably about to make a lot of enemies by saying this is one of the biggest biohacks is just limiting alcohol consumption. Um, you know, as much as I, I love a good single malt and I, I've been loving my mezcal margaritas when I, you know, especially with Cinco de Mayo coming up, um, one of the biggest things is just, you know, my sleep quality is something that I've really been defending and promoting. And I feel like that just unlocks so much in life. Um, so, you know, around that, I've also been, uh, you know, eating dinner early and then uh, also doing continuing on the intermittent fasting. Um, and again, both of those things also play into the, the sleep uh, habit there. So they all sound very basic. Of course, you know, movement, strength training, all that kind of good stuff. I think most people are already clued in on. Um, but, you know, beyond the supplementation and the butter coffee and all that kind of stuff that I've experimented with, I find that the basics about meditation, you know, going to sleep early and uh, all that kind of good stuff uh, have actually made a huge impact on my life. And, uh, you know, it's also helped me keep it simple and keep it a little less device oriented, um, you know, because I feel like we spend all of our days on uh, on or around screens at this point. Oh, no, so well said. And, and it's never the wrong time to share more about the basics because we, we all need reminded of it. Um, you know, that, that, that bit on alcohol is, is again, I'll, I'll say it again, like, especially if you're looking for better sleep. I mean, I, I just know my buddies, I know plenty of people, they'll, they'll buy a $10,000 new mattress. They'll buy, you know, they'll, they'll figure out some new app. They'll do everything, but they, you know, they'll toss back four drinks before bed. It's like, that's the number one thing you could do. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a good reminder that, uh, you know, let's, let's stick to the basics. Let's think mindful about some of the just some of the things we put into our body um, before we get, get too obsessed with the gadgetry. Yeah, I think it's uh, in keeping with your quotaless uh, name and the concept as well, right? I think it's we're programmed by society to just always be seeking and seeking and seeking and finding, oh, that one gadget, that $10,000 mattress, whatever, like that's going to do it for me. Uh, but really, ultimately, I think it is, uh, you know, I've found more benefit from actually trying to get to know myself a little bit better and understanding, okay, well, am I feeling uncomfortable? Okay, well, why am I feeling uncomfortable? And being able to address the root cause rather than all of the different symptoms and trying to address those piecemeal. I think uh, it's been almost 12 or 13 years now of, uh, you know, taking biohacking and, uh, you know, health and, and, and fitness very seriously. And I think that that's kind of, it's funny because you just come back to the stuff that people probably knew a thousand years ago. Oh, speaking of that, you know, what's blown my mind. Have you read James Nestor's Breath? I have read that book. Yeah, that's a that's a very, very good book. Yeah. And talk about like something folks knew forever that I had no idea has so much impact. Just just breathe. If you don't have time to read the whole book, breathe through your nose. Yeah. <laughs> Practice exactly. breathing in and out of your nose. It it's it's crazy how much um benefits and and um negatives that he attributes to mouth breathing slash nose breathing, right? To, to, to just properly breathing, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, and that, and also breathing into the belly rather than into your chest, right? That's also a, a great compliment from, uh, to that same practice. Um, yeah. something, uh, this is getting a bit in the weeds on this, so I hope we don't lose everybody on this, but uh, one thing, uh, that I picked up recently 
uh, I think this was from like a, a, a fairly old yogic uh, tradition, um, is the correct posture for your tongue in your mouth. I'd never knew that that was a thing, but that actually goes along with the, the mouth breathing, nose breathing thing, which is that actually your tongue is supposed to be up against the palate of your mouth in the resting position. So that actually has a lot of benefits, especially around your jawline and everything else like that, that is more relevant today than, than ever before with Instagram, right? And everybody posting selfies everywhere. So that actually apparently uh, helps your energy circulate a little bit better according to the yogic tradition for the folks that are into that kind of thing. But um, yeah, that, that, that's also been a, a good life improvement. Very subtle tweak, very small thing uh, to notice, but that I've noticed. And I've also actually uh, discovered this thing called texting apnea, which is kind of what it sounds like, which is that like sleep apnea is when you stop breathing when you're sleeping. And a lot of times when you're texting or you're looking at your phone, try to tune in and see if I, am I breathing normally? A lot of people hold their breath when they're using their phone. And that's not good for you because again, it deprives your brain of oxygen. You make like, you know, decisions that are not as good as what you could make. Um, so again, like these small tweaks, I feel like they really compound uh, over a period of time. See, I knew you had a couple more in you. I knew you had a couple more in you. <laughs> We're getting advanced now too with the text apnea, but um, yeah, I mean, you're right. And that book is just chock full of so much. I usually tell people just the nose breathing because you know, it's hard enough to just subscribe to that. And I know so many mouth breathers and people that can't sleep because they're breathing through their mouth. And, um, but I mean, it's a great book and it really dials in, um, little, little, you know, little tweaks that you can do to your breath, um, with a ton of evidence and, and, and really self-based research. He put him through, he put himself through a lot of experimentation to, to, to get to the bottom of this stuff, but, uh, it saves us all having to do it. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And for me, I, all I started doing was running with, um, I was already running, but I was running, breathing through my mouth a lot. And um, first thing I noticed, my sleep was already like, I stopped, I really stopped drinking. I stopped eating late. That was one thing that when I was wearing the whoop um, really affected my sleep. The next thing it just like catapulted, it was when I started training and only breathing through my nose while running, my sleep cycles just like really got dialed in. So. Raj, like, thank you so much. This was great. I know you're super busy. Um, I guess just you're, you're, you're an influencer in your own, right? How should folks connect with you? Um, you know, what, we sh what should we do to follow your journey, Revenate, et cetera? Yeah, I think uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way to, to get in touch. I feel like uh, of all the social networking uh, apps, I tend to use that one the most. So uh, I think my handle on there is just Raj Singh LA. Uh, so feel free to find me there. I'd love to connect. And I do post fairly often about things, uh, about just the things that make my life better in general, not just the, the things that are uh, helping me succeed at work. Uh, so yeah, would love to connect. And uh, thanks for having me on, Bobby. This was a blast. Always enjoy our chats. That's right, man. Me too. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day and uh, we'll talk soon. Awesome. Talk soon. If you enjoyed today's show, please go and support it by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. You can also subscribe to the Quotalist weekly newsletter by going to Quotalist.io. Remember, when you embrace practice, develop awareness, and align your efforts, you can rise above the deal. You can live Quotalist.